to All the Best Podcasts Have Daddy Issues, a podcast about whether or not Lost is a good TV show, a question that has uh, become much harder to answer than it should have mm-hmm. 12, hour, 12 years after the show ended. I'm your host, Nolan Pavlich. And I'm Emma May. And uh, we've got a really, really fun episode uh, this week, guys. Yeah. Really exciting, light. E- I mean, what, easy breezy. That's how we were describing it before we started. Mm-hmm. Um, no. So this week we're not going to be going over an episode of the show and instead talking about uh, the recent controversy, I guess. The recent article that came out by Maureen Ryan uh, detailing the poisonous culture of the lost writer's room and showrunners in general. So yeah, this uh, this article came out uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, it's written by Maureen Ryan, who actually has done stuff, lost retrospective type stuff in the past. And maybe she even wrote, re- wrote about it while the show was on the air. She's been reporting on TV and entertainment for several years, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, she's yeah, exactly. And so she's like, she talks about it in the article even, but she's talked to Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof before, mostly as a, uh, you know, in a much better context, of course. But uh, yeah, so this article came out on Vanity Fair, um, uh, May 30th uh, of 2023 this year entitled Lost Illusions, the Untold Story of the Hit Show's Poisonous Culture. And uh, it's it's a chapter of her book called Burn It Down. It's just one chapter of the book talking about, you know, I guess the toxic culture that uh, overtakes Hollywood. Uh, but yeah, pretty, pretty interesting and pretty eye-opening. So I guess let's just get into it. There's a few different points that I think that we should bring up. And mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, to be clear, you should go read this article. We'll uh, link we're going to have it, it linked. Yeah. yeah, we're going to have it linked in the show description. And there's also going to be a a statement from Javier Grigio Marks Watch put out his he was quoted in the article and then also he kind of put out his own statement clarifying some of the things he said, not disagreeing with the article in any way, but mostly just expanding on what he said. And we'll have that linked in the show description as well. Um but yeah, so definitely go check them out. But we just wanted to bring up some of this, mainly uh, because we wanted to acknowledge this. Like this, um, uh, we'll kind of talk about what the show is going to be like going forward, but we we didn't want to gloss over this and just like bring it up at the top of the episode. So we're going to go over a few different things from the article. I'll have a few quotes, but uh, like I said, go read the the whole thing. It's it's really well written, and it's when you read it, it's really hard to believe that it's conjecture. Like, it just constantly people, even if people aren't going by, you know, they're using fake names or whatever for the article because they don't want to get their uh, careers torched. It it's pretty evident when you're reading it that it's uh, completely true. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't feel in any way like a like anybody's making it up for attention or anything like that. The um, the piece from the article that made me think like, oh, wow, there's a lot of weight to this and uh, is the word cloud that she did. Of yeah. All the statements and the ones that were at the top were just all toxic and yeah. Right. Right. 
Yeah, it, it um, yeah, that's because that's when she's bringing it up to Damon Lindelof. Yeah. As she's like speaking to him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so starting off, uh, we should talk. I think we should talk about Harold Perrineau because he has actually been on record with some of this stuff in the past, and we were gonna end up talking about it. Once we, it's kind of hard to do it on our show that has no spoilers, which actually we should say this right here. This episode will have spoilers for the entire show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not really a way to talk about it uh, without having spoilers. So if you haven't seen the show and you really want to keep that stuff, I guess don't listen, but you should still read this article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it does have spoilers, but it is important. So we'll go back to our normal thing after this, but. For right now, uh, this episode's going to have spoilers for the whole show. So starting with Harold Perrineau, we were going to end up talking about some of the stuff that he said in the past anyways, because he's gone on record in the press in the past about how unhappy he is with his departure from the show, Mm -hmm. which happens at the end of the second season. So we're only uh, like four or five episodes away from that, I think, now. Um, Maybe only four, honestly. Harold notices... And, you know, that the, uh, essentially the white people on the show are getting a lot more attention, right? You're Jack, you're Kate, you're Sawyer. Uh, something that we've kind of brought up on the show already is, like, it's weird how little attention is paid to, um, the more minority characters, both, uh, in, um, uh, diversity sense and in screen time sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like Saeed and Michael, who seem like they should be involved at every step just aren't um uh but yeah uh a quote from harold perrineau says uh it became pretty clear that i was the black guy daniel day kim was the asian guy uh and then you have jack and kate and sawyer he basically brings this up to damon lindelof and carlton cuse um he says he tried to do it respectfully and not like accusing them of racism but it sounds like that's basically exactly how they took it is mm-hmm. um uh him accusing them of being racist and we had talked on episode two of season two which was a drift uh which was the episode where michael and sawyer are coming back to the island after the raft blows up and how odd the flashbacks are in that episode in the sense that it doesn't really give us anything new about michael it just kind of retreads what we had already seen mm-hmm. And uh, we also talked about how that was supposed to be a Sawyer episode. And then the official story was just like, oh, we couldn't get the Sawyer flashbacks to work. It wasn't up to snuff for the quality of the show. And now it's coming out in this article that <laughs> that they changed it because Harold Perrineau had complained about the racism uh, or complained about uh, the fact that Michael in that episode should have been the focus. Mm-hmm. And not even just that, but they he talked about how he didn't want to contribute to, um, you know, like, black fathers not caring about their sons. And then they have this episode where Walt's just been taken, and Michael's supposed to sit there and, like, ask Sawyer questions about his backstory. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he said he felt so... That was so ridiculous that he couldn't... He, he just couldn't live with that, so he brings it up. And then they sort of throw this weird backstory together and they shoot it on super short notice and uh, he says that he feels you know like they were kind of punishing him with how short the notice was that 
you know, he had to work like 18 hour days just to get this, uh, this filmed because it was, it was rewritten so close to filming. Mm-hmm. That episode in retrospect makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. I think. And it's wild to me that they would ever make that a Sawyer episode to begin with. Like, it seems so obvious that Michael should be the one that they're talking about. Right. Like, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. Uh, very odd that it wasn't Michael to begin with, but also very... I mean, it just shows you how... Um, Dense? Thin-skinned. Yeah. That the uh, that Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof are, that they took it as such an insult and kind of had, had to throw a tantrum about making it more about Michael. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to touch on, too, is um, how everyone acknowledged what a big get Harold Perrineau was. And I yeah, was missing really... that context, honestly, because, like, um, we're watching it so many years after the fact. It's kind of hard to know where everybody was at in their career at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the fact that they fumbled it so hard. Yeah. Yeah, I've never watched Oz, which I know he's a big part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, but I, in my head, I didn't really think of that show as being mega popular. Um, but I also, I saw the Matrix movies well after I had seen Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my head, <laughs> in my head, those came out later, even though that is not the case. So I think we talked a lot in the first few episodes of the show about how Dominic Monaghan is probably the most famous actor on the cast, but it probably was Harold Perrineau at that point. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings movies were big, but so was The Matrix and Oz. Right. Um, or it's at least certainly more than Matthew Shepard, someone who had been on, uh, you know, Party of Five, and then mm-hmm. that's kind of it. Just, but yeah, that is, uh, it's wild that they treated him like that when he tried to, like, respectfully give them some notes. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huge missed opportunity. Um, and we've talked about that before, too. Just the storyline that they gave Michael really did feel like a, there wasn't really meat to it and they <clears throat> could have done so much more with Harold Perrineau and clearly yeah. he wanted to do more too that's kind of the sad saddest thing about that yeah it's a bummer I mean it's the least important part of all this but just thinking about the show we could have had that actually focused on yeah on Michael and gave Harold Perrineau some like real scenes to do like I, that show could have been something special mm-hmm. uh not to say that Lost wasn't, I suppose, but uh, I mean the all of the Michael stuff in the second season is just kind of like, bleh. yeah. The, he has some good stuff in in these later few episodes, but like up until we're in episode nineteen of season two, and he's basically done nothing mm-hmm. except for scream about his son, right? But yeah, eventually uh, they let him know that he's leaving at the end of season two, and he's not coming back. Um, and he says, uh, I was fucked up about it. I was like, oh, I just got fired, I think. Uh, I was like, wait a minute, what's happening? And Q said, well, you know, you said to us, if we don't have anything good for you, you want to go. I was just asking for equal depth. Yeah, just feeling like very like, oh, you're not happy with the way we're writing you? Well, then why don't you just leave? Mm-hmm. Which is just, uh, <laughs> so immature. So petty. And that is, unfortunately, he is not the only actor that they uh, handled uh, poorly with regards to racism. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, in season three, Adewale Agnoya Agbaje, who plays Mr. Echo, leaves the show. Uh, unfortunately. And we'll talk about when we get there. I, he's such a good character, and he leaves in his prime, essentially. And he has always maintained... In interviews and stuff, that the reason he left the show is he didn't like living in Hawaii. Uh, both of his parents died, I believe, pretty close uh, to one another um, while he was filming, and mm-hmm. he didn't want to be in Hawaii anymore. That's what's been said. I don't think there's... I mean, if you said, hey, the insane culture in the writer's room is what <laughs> is what uh, led him to uh, leave, I wouldn't be shocked at this point. But he's never indicated anything like that, so I don't want to... I don't want to just speculate that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he leaves, and this apparently really makes um, Carlton Cuse mad. Uh, Carlton Cuse talks about how, when they are writing the death scene for him, how, how they wish they could uh, uh, hang him from a tree and uh, cut off his dick and shove it down his throat. Like, uh. just, it's horrific. Like, it, it's so... It's so inexcusable. And when you read this article, you can really tell the kind of guys that Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse think that they are. Um, and with their, like, humor. Like, they're trying to be edgy so bad. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to be like, oh, we, you know, we'll joke about that kind of stuff because, uh, you know, we don't care or whatever. And it's so, <laughs> I, I don't know, pathetic. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, but yeah, those, I think, are the two most egregious things, right, mm-hmm. in this whole thing. And we're going to talk about the writer's room, too, but just, I mean, essentially, so we still have Rose, of course, and there's some other people coming up. Lance Reddick ends up on the show later on, too. But in terms of, like, main cast members with, like, big influences on the show... They don't ever have like another big black character. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just it's just Michael and Mr. Echo, and they both are gone by the by mid season three. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I personally had always just kind of assumed that that was because it was two thousand seven or eight or you know whenever Echo leaves, um, and that diversity was not really a focus, and it feels more and more that it's just that they. Uh, uh, would not have wanted to have another black castmate. Yeah. And also, I will say, too, this did make me think about... Um, in Claire's first episode, Raised by Another, uh, it was directed by uh, Marita Grabiak, and we talked about how she really wanted to film the dream sequence in black and white, and she was... the <laughs> They said that she was just difficult, and... Um, she never ended up directing for the show again. In the context that we're seeing all of this stuff come out, uh, it feels less and less like that's actually the case mm-hmm. and more that they just perceive a woman trying to, you know, have some vision for the show as difficult. I mean, maybe she was difficult. I don't know. They, she doesn't get talked about really at all in this. Like, very, very briefly, do they just kind of mention how there was only one female director in season one? Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it just kind of makes you recontextualize stuff like that. Or stuff like uh, Hurley calling Jin and Sun Chinese all the time. Yeah. So they, in addition to just this, like, pure racist stuff 
like <laughs> just like naked racism essentially uh there's a lot of stuff a lot of different stuff from different writers about how toxic the culture was in the writer's room in terms of uh you had to be okay with you know racist jokes and sexist jokes and the horrible things that Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse would say and I'm assuming other writers would also say too mm-hmm. I can't I have to imagine that uh there was people who were doing that to try and fit in and also probably they hired people that are more willing to let that kind of stuff slide and also join in right uh but they they gave a list in this article and I just wanted to read them um and I apologize for all the stuff that I'm about to say because it truly is horrible when someone on staff was adopting an Asian child, one person said to another writer that no grandparent wants a slanty-eyed grandchild. Mm. Um, when actor Adewale Akadnoye Agbaje's picture was on the writer's room table, someone was told to remove their nearby wallet before he steals it. When Owusu Breen, who is one of the writers, uh, who is one of the ones that went on record uh, for this article... Um, and others uh, were riding in a van on a trip. In answer to a question about the luggage, one writer using a Yiddish word said, let the uh, Shvartzi take it, which uh, I looked up and is essentially a derogatory word for like a black, like a housekeeper or manservant in Yiddish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the only Asian American writer was called Korean, as in Korean, take the board. Um, and when a woman entered the writer's room carrying a binder, uh, two sources said a male writer asked her what it was, and she said it was the HR manual for the studio, and he responded, why don't you take off your top and tell us about it? Yeah, so just, it, it that feels worse than, like, I remember it being in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. It feels so bad um, to hear. I can't imagine. I mean, they talk in the article, right, about... People having to leave eyeliner at work so that, that, you know, if they're crying, they can retouch their makeup. Um, People breaking down and having to cry before they uh, went home. I actually want to read that quote from Monica Owusu Green. Um, Mm -hmm. She says, all I wanted to do is write some really cool episodes of a cool show. That was an impossibility on that staff. Uh, there was no way to navigate that situation. Part of it was they really didn't like their characters of color. When you have to go home and cry for an hour before you can see your kids because you have to excise all the stress you've been holding in, you're not going to write anything good after that. That part just broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah, horrible. I mean, again, like, uh, the, the article does some good framing, especially at the end of how they're the choice between like tough genius you know stuff like stanley kubrick and that kind of thing that people like mythologize Mm -hmm. and like you know nice but kind of middle of the road like that is so that's a false dichotomy Mm -hmm. and like that kind of stuff right there tells like she's telling us in this article like hey this is how I wanted to do good work and how I was, like, not able to do it. Mm -hmm. So, like, not only was... I I mean, not that any of it would be excused anyways. Even if, like, you know, even if we had to be like, well, uh, it was the most racist writer's room of all time, but uh, turns out that's exactly what the show needed. Like, it wouldn't be excusable anyways. But just seeing how all of this impacted the work on the show 
Yeah. It boggles my mind how they... I mean, I guess it's just that the show was making money, right? Like, that's how they... The executives don't care as long as the cash comes in. Right. Yeah. And you had shared with me earlier this week um, a little snippet from what it was like working with Bill Hader on Barry. Yeah. Just the complete Mm -hmm. opposite. And... Yeah. I mean, that show is so amazing, and he really gives credit where credit's due. It makes you wonder Mm -hmm. what Lost would have been like had it been a more positive environment, had people felt comfortable and confident taking risks with the show and with writing. I mean, just all of the abuse is absolutely horrible. And when you think about how it impacted the show and what the show that we could have had, had people been given those opportunities, it makes me a little mad. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I I would have loved to see how Michael uh, functioned on the island uh, when written by someone who wasn't um, mad at him for being black and voicing his opinion. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, the Bill Hader thing is really interesting. Um, if anyone here or anyone listening has watched a Barry, uh, there's a podcast that bill Hader did with sean fennessy uh where he basically goes through every single episode of seasons three and four and talks about them and just listening to him talk about like oh yeah i had this idea here um and it was terrible and the editors let me know it was terrible and they were right to do so and i cut it and it made the show better Mm -hmm. and like hearing that kind of stuff was so uh, interesting, just because it. I was listening to it as all this was breaking, and mm-hmm. we were seeing all this stuff come out, and just seeing how completely ob- opposite that is to the way Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof were running things. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it obviously impacted the show, and it impacted the well-being of the writers. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure plenty of other people who worked on the show as well, not just the writers. There's also a thing in here, too, about... Um when Perno was pointing out the storylines, uh, how they're different, he was told that um, Jack and Kate and Sawyer is more relatable, which is insane. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. like, he's a parent. Yeah, a father trying to connect with his prepubescent <laughs> son is, like, the most relatable thing on the planet Earth. Right. And whereas I blew up my stepdad right. is not. <laughs> or I'm a doctor whose daddy has never told him he loved him. Like, that's inherently less relatable. Yes. Um, yeah, I... Uh, um, I mean, and they talk about it, too. Um, I hate to say it because it, it's almost the least egregious thing in this. And it still is horrific. It's just how I assume Hollywood works anyways. But he talks about how they wanted to kind of do the friends thing and negotiate as a group. And it basically got shut down and union busted by the executives, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And uh, there was clear pay-, pay tiers on the show. And all the people in the highest tier were white, um, with no exceptions. Just awful. And especially, yeah, considering... I mean... Uh, to think that, you know, I I don't want to rank people against each other either, but just considering that like Evangeline Lilly, 
had done nothing up until this point. Right. Like, she was just a girl from Canada. And she, I, I think she's really good in the show, and I don't want to, like, discount her at all. But to to have, you know, uh, Harold Perrineau is in, like, The Matrix. Mm-hmm. And are, you know, uh, in, like, critically acclaimed TV series giving, like, world-class performances. <laughs> and then he's treated like garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the difference is just Evangeline Lilly never uh, said anything about how her character was treated. I mean, we even... We did kind of hear about that with uh, the stunt coordinator. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, how she didn't really bring that up until years afterwards. And again, that's just something that gets recontextualized and makes you realize like, oh yeah, I, I can see exactly how somebody like that would end up on the staff mm-hmm. of Lost because uh, that's not something they would have cared about. That's exactly as punitive and petty as the showrunners are. Right. Yeah, I wanted to uh, just share this. Uh, Awusu Breen has been a showrunner herself, and she knows what that pressure cooker is like. Uh, it, it brings out the worst in you. The person I was in my first showrunning gig is not the person I am now. I have apologized to people because the stress is hard. Uh, but this was racism. I don't know. That doesn't feel like the kind of thing that happens when you're just stressed. Uh, there was a blood sport aspect to how that room functioned. Yeah, so I think it's just important to like realize, like I don't know, how bad that writer's room was. Mm-hmm. like just Just how much it took from the people that were working in it. And we've seen it, and, you know, we've talked about it, too. I've brought up the writers on every episode so far, and uh, only a couple of them have stayed with the show till, till, till the end. Yeah. Um, most of them are gone. Like, we've already seen Javier uh, Grigio Marks watch his last episode now, at this point. Uh, someone who we... Had, every time he's shown up as the writer for an episode, we've thought, wow, this was great. Mm-hmm. And he's he's gone at the end of the season, specifically because of how toxic this writer's room is. So the last thing about the culture of the room that I want to bring up is uh, Melinda Sue Taylor. Um, all right, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's H-S-U Taylor. Uh, was one of the co-writers for Ab Eterno, which is an episode in season five that is pretty critically acclaimed. Um... I guess there's no spoilers in this episode, so actually I do want to bring it up because there's kind of an interesting thing about it that we won't even get to until season, like, one of the last episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. But um, Abiturno was a backstory episode for Richard, a character we haven't seen yet, who, and it, it just kind of goes, you know, it's all flashback, and it, it's really well received. It's a great episode, frankly. And... Um, she talks about how, like, angry Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse were after that episode came out and got all this credit and that on the phone, Carlton Cuse, or, uh, sorry, Damon Lindelof essentially took credit when he was talking to Nestor Carbonell, who's one of the, who plays Richard. He, uh, he talks about how, how he was, you know, he came up with pretty much all of the episode while she was sitting in the room and it got to the point where, like, they were so mad that Melinda and her co-writing partner had written the episode that they ended up getting the showrunners gifts as thank yous for letting them write the episode. Like just, I mean, so petty, mm-hmm. um, so childish and uh, thin-skinned. And then eventually in season six, they write an episode that is extremely similar uh, called Across the Sea, uh, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof. And knowing 
everything that we've seen in this article, it seems extremely clear to me that that episode was written as a way to kind of, you know, they want, it's their turn to do it. And that episode is received extremely poorly. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's a fine episode, I guess. It's, there's, it's nothing special. It, the placement, it's like the third from the last episode of the show and it's all backstory. And it, it's something that people talk about a lot on, uh, talking about the show of just like how out of place this is. Like how you're really, you know, wanting to see how all the characters you know and love, and it it just shows you backstory for characters that you haven't even met yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing now how petty and childish uh, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof are, it makes a lot more sense that, <laughs> that that happened. And then, yeah, the last thing I think that we should bring up with this article is uh, the apology segment. Or not even apology. I mean, I don't even really want to... Did you get anything from Carlton Cuse's? Because uh, I didn't I didn't pull any of the stuff from him. Because his was given to oh, oh. Um, Marine Ryan by a PR company. And is just so obviously not genuine and um, dismissive of uh, the accusations being made. Yeah, I... I don't have anything in my notes. I'm sure I can find it in the article. No, no, but... no. I just was wondering if you, because I, I, I wanted to move on to Lindelof's, whose answers are, I think, a lot more interesting. Yeah. Uh, Carl and yeah. Carlton Cuse also. Neither of them come out good. He comes off so much worse in this. Like the stuff about Mr. Echo was all him, um, which I think is the most egregious thing said in the episode. Yeah. Damon Lindelof doesn't come off great, but but Carlton Cuse in particular comes off very poorly and all of his responses are things like well that's outrageous i would never do that and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing like just denying everything right um uh the but the interesting one to me is uh damon lindelof who actually sat down with maureen ryan twice while she was writing this uh to talk about the allegations um uh the first time she brings up some of the stuff and he he kind of gives like a you know, like, oh, wow, I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm sure it did, but I don't recall any of it specifically. Um, which, to me, is like a cop-out answer of... Uh, there's there's no reason... Like, any of those jokes uh, you would remember making. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, there's no reason to say, oh, it, I'm sure it happened, I just don't remember it. Unless you are covering up for the fact that you absolutely do remember it. Mm-hmm. Um... So I guess that's the PR answer you got to give. Um, but she talks to him a second time and talks about more of the stuff that she's heard, like firsthand from people that worked in the room, uh, specifically about him talking about how he fired Harold Perrineau because Perrineau, uh, Perrineau accused him of racism. She says, I told him the two versions of this remark that I'd heard ended with, so I fired him or so I fired his ass. And then his response is, what can I say? Other than it breaks my heart that that was Harold's experience, replied Lindelof, who did not, who said he did not recall ever saying that. And I'll just see that the events that you're describing happened 17 years ago, and I don't know why anybody would make that up about me. So I guess he is saying that that's the denial that he gives there is that he never said that. But he also says, uh, regarding the other allegations leveled at him and the show, Lindelof said he had no memory of the incidents and comments I related. He told me he was shocked and appalled and surprised by the incidents I described to him and said more than once that he did not think anyone was making anything up. 
I just can't imagine that Carlton would have said something like that, or some of those attributions, some of the comments that you shared. I'm telling you, I swear, I have no recollection of those specific things. And that's not me saying that they didn't happen, I'm just saying that it's literally baffling my brain. That they did happen, and that I bore witness to them, or that I said them. To think that they came out of my mouth, or the mouths of people that I still consider friends, is just not computing. God, as I was saying that, I kind of was filled with revulsion there. That's such a spineless answer. Yeah. Um, just, I, I don't know. I guess he can't tell someone just to own up to it, right? Because he would lose his career, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he's made his career a little bit, like, um, he did The Leftovers, which I don't think was praised for being particularly diverse, was it? I had never seen that show. But my I watched the first episode or two, and I remember it being all white people, pretty much. Yeah, it's all white people. But then he did uh, The Watchmen, um, the HBO series that's like a continuation from the comic book. And uh, that one is pretty, pretty like intrinsically linked to uh, like the Tulsa race riots, right? Yeah. Yep. I haven't, I haven't seen that. You've seen it. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, yeah. But it, it is, uh, the story is so tied to black history too. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, now I'm very curious to know what that writer's room is like. And like, I know. has he actually grown as a person? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm very curious about that show now. Was that him trying to make up for who he was in the past? Was that him trying to cover for who he was in the past? Mm-hmm. What Has he actually changed or is he just being cynical about it? Or was that just the story that he wanted to tell and it had no bearing on whether or not he makes racist jokes all the time? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard to say. Okay, so the writer of the article kept a running list of words... Um, that sources use to describe the show's work atmosphere. Uh, and she put it into a word cloud um, and shared it with Lindelof and Cuse. Um, the words that came up the most were cruel, brutal, destructive, racist, sexist, bullying, angry, abusive, and hostile. That is so telling and so sad yeah. Not, imagine I, I like obviously all of that is an indictment but the fact that brutal is on there specifically enough to like that one to me like if you're talking about racism you're just going to use the word racist but mm-hmm. ra- brutal is such a specific like descriptor mm-hmm. um yeah it, it 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 looks so poor for them yeah um and she uh shared it with both of them uh, and Lindelof responded, it breaks my heart to hear it. It's deeply upsetting to know that there were people who had such bad experiences. Uh, I did not know that people were feeling that way. No one ever complained to me, nor am I aware that anybody complained to ABC studios. I wish I had known. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So just shunting it off onto other people. Right. That they, they just hadn't told him about how bad his behavior was. Which, that's what every boss wants to hear, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, everybody is comfortable telling their boss that they suck and are racist and sexist and a bully. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They they fired a big-name actor um, because they 
they thought it was implied that he was calling them racist, but for sure he would have taken it well mm-hmm. uh, if if uh, someone had brought it up. Um, but yeah, he his apology or not even apology, just his thoughts here. He says, "Would it shock you to learn or believe that, despite the fact that I completely and totally validate your word cloud, that I was oblivious, largely oblivious, to the adverse impacts that I was having on others in that writers' room during the entire time that the show was happening?" He also asked, uh, do you feel like I knew the whole time and just kept doing it? And I'm going to read this because this was her response. She says, I gave him a variation of an answer I have given or wanted to give to powerful people many times. I think he knew enough and chose not to do anything about it. But in our culture, phrases like, I didn't know, there was so much going on, and mistakes are made are common ways to frame terrible patterns of behavior, many of which are the result of terrible decisions, not the work of the disembodied hand of fate. Especially if the person at the center of those mistakes is a high-status individual, a lot of hedges and rationales are rolled out, and they are often couched in the passive voice. Um, I think that that is such a great response. Mm-hmm. Um, and him, the article, I, I mean, I don't want to read the whole article on this uh, on this podcast. I, I will say, go, like I've said, you know, go check it out. Um, uh, his response doesn't to me make him seem great um it kind of it i got the feeling more that he was like wondering what his career was going to be like now rather than thinking about any of the people that he hurt Mm -hmm. uh but yeah so that's a basic summary of the article and then i i really don't even know that we need to talk too much about the the blog post from Javier grigio mark's watch except to say that you should read it and it it kind of goes it's less about the racism aspects of it and more about how uh, petty and unhealthy the writer's room was. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's what he specifically had experience with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we wanted to talk about it, obviously, and you know maybe uh, inform some people who hadn't seen the article or something like that. Uh, uh, but we also wanted to talk a little bit about what the show is going to be like uh, going forward, um, so Emma and I have talked about it. We have decided that we are not going to be covering Lost anymore. We are, we've decided on a new project. We're going to be going through the filmography of Kevin Spacey. Um, <laughs> we thought it'd be a little bit lighter to talk about, so less problematic. Uh, yeah, Just less, less problematic. <laughs> I can't wait until we get to, uh, American Beauty, that should be really fun to talk mm-hmm. about. God, can you imagine? That would be hell. <laughs> that, that would be like uh, a punishment that a judge gave me. Was, yeah. Your podcast has to be about the Kevin Spacey photography. <laughs> um, no, but we did talk about like what we wanted the show to be like. We, we have already kind of talked about stuff like how Saeed is treated and is essentially like he's got like a weird suicide bomber backstory. And how the stuff of, like, Hurley calling uh, Jin and Son Chinese, um, like, how poorly that ages now. This kind of adds another layer of context on top of all of that, and it's not great at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, we're going to talk about it. I, I think most likely, I would say the majority of episodes will probably end up bringing something up a little bit. Right? Like, yeah. 
maybe not the majority, but uh, more than it, it, it's going to happen a good amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also don't want the show to just be like, um, where's Waldo, but for the showrunner's racism. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to spot the things that are problematic in any one scene and who to attribute, like speculating over who the toxic person that wrote it was. Because uh, that sounds awful to make and listen to. Mm-hmm. Major bummer. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be kind of a... Uh, kind of walking a line um but we do plan on going forward with the show i mean you know we still don't know whether or not lost is a good tv show uh it it feels like uh the scale got uh, a pretty heavy weight on it on one direction yeah. for right now but we'll <laughs> so we'll see if maybe it uh maybe there's some real good episodes coming that can uh push past this um but yeah i think um i don't know anything you want to add to that I guess the important thing I think moving forward is that we acknowledge um, what uh, a hostile work environment and racist and sexist environment it was, um, but just not, like you were saying, we don't want that to be the show. So it's definitely going to come into play and, and we'll call it out, but that's something that we were doing already. Um, mm-hmm. so I feel like the format of the show and what we say on the show, um, probably won't be all that different. Yeah. I think that's, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. I think, uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, two for the road. Uh, burn it down the book. Oh, that's, yes. uh, uh, the article, um, is a chapter from it. Is that right? Yeah, so it's it it's at least a portion of a chapter. I don't know if it's the whole chapter or like an abridged version or something sure. like that. But it is it's a chapter that basically goes completely about Lost, right? Um, but it also seems like the book itself talks more generally about just Hollywood. Yeah, I I think that's safe to say. Um, but Burn It Down by Marine Ryan is out now. You can purchase it. Um, they've got it. On Kindle, audiobook, and even hardcover. So mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, you know, a big bummer to learn this about the shows that you enjoyed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, growing up. But I think it's important and I'm definitely going to read it. So just wanted to give it a little plug. Absolutely. Uh... We'll be back uh, with the normal format next week. And until then, get lost. Get lost.